Awake? Whew, it's been a good Sunday. I got so hot I had to take the jacket off, put it back on. Whew. All right. Well, this morning, it's going to be good. It already is good. It's about to get gooder. Well, if you guys remember, we've been, since the beginning of the year, I've been talking about family, talking about the family of God, talking about how we have an option to choose whether we're going to serve the Lord or not, uh, right? That's our theme verse for this year. And the idea is that God has called us to be a family, which means he's a father. And if you remember last Sunday, we talked about the father's heart towards sin. And that wasn't a fun one to talk about how there is real sin and there's a real hell, right? And there is consequences of sin. And uh, on the heels of that, I want to talk about this morning, uh, the title of this morning's message is, A Father to be Feared. A Father to be Feared. If you're taking notes, you can write that down. Um, this subject of the fear of God is so big that I feel like this morning, all, all we can do is kind of scratch the surface. Um, the fear of God is one of those big, big subjects. It's kind of talking about the love of God, right? Like, how do you say the love of God all in 30 minutes? Ex- you know, explain and preach on everything about the love of God. It's impossible. So it's impossible to preach everything about the fear of God, but we're going to attempt at least tackle a couple things. Um, and so one of the things I want to uh, share with you that we talk about Jesus being our Savior a lot. Do you know that the Bible references... Um, Jesus being our Savior, or even in the Old Testament. Savior, 157 times. That's a lot. We should, we should worship Jesus as our Savior. But do you know that it references him as our Lord 7,836 times? So as Christians, we often talk about, oh, he's our Savior. We sing about him as our Savior, which is great. I want to remember that he's my Savior. But way more important, according to Scripture, is that he's our Lord, is that he's our Master, is that there is a, a reverential fear of God, right? And so this idea of the fear of God, sometimes um, we don't really understand it. I can't fully describe it today, but I want to at least talk a little bit about it. Um, I got in hot water. I don't remember if I was still a youth pastor or if it was my first year of being a pastor, but I know it was early on with me standing up here behind the pulpit. And I remember I gave a message that was titled, God is not love only. Only, 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 put the only there. Because First John says God is love, right? So that would be heresy if I preached God is not love. But I felt like I needed to tell everyone God is not love only. Because so often we just think, oh, he's loving and kind and he's gentle, which he is. But he's not just gentle and kind. Not just that. He's also a whole lot of other things. And it's, it's important that we have a full understanding of who God is. We can never fully get our mind wrapped around God because he's an infinite God. But this idea that we need to expand our thinking, expand our understanding is so true. And so this morning, I, I hope that our understanding is expanded of who God is. And some of that comes to the fear of God. Probably the most well-known verse from Proverbs, right? The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. wisdom. All right, most of us that grew up in church, we know that, right? So there's this idea, there's benefits when it comes to actually having the fear of God in your life. When you understand it, when you actually fear God, there's a lot of benefits. In fact, there's about 40 plus benefits to to having the fear of God. I think I have a list of like 11 of them. There's some benefits of fearing God. I don't know, I think they're figuring things out in the back, but I'll read to you some of them. Um, The benefits of fearing God. And thank you, Juan, I am giving you a shout out. Thank you, Juan, for jumping in fire trial today. His first time, doing great back there. Thank you, thank you, Juan. Um, And so... 
Of course, the day that I have the most slides and most scriptures is the day that he just jumps in there and doesn't uh, his first time. So um, no pressure, no pressure, Juan. Um, so, and then he'll learn that I put everything in order up there, and then this pastor jumps all around. So you have to try to figure out where I'm going. So it's a game back there. Um, so we're talking about the fear of God, right? We're talking about these things. There's some benefits. Let me find it because it's not even in my order, my notes either. So let me find some of them. Hold on. Um, or over 40 promises. Here they are. It's the beginning of wisdom. We said that already, right? It's how we mature our salvation and it conforms us into Jesus. It makes us holy. It secures eternal legacy. It produces confidence and swallows insecurity. I'm gonna say that one a second time. It produces confidence and swallows insecurity. It gives us identity. It makes us productive. It provides angelic assistance. It brings enjoyment in your life, great joy and happiness. It's the key to intimacy with God. Wait a second. The fear of God is the key to intimacy with him. So the first portion of scripture I want to look at, you can turn there if you want, Exodus chapter 20. You can read all around before and after. I read pretty much the, almost the whole book of Exodus this week, reading all kinds of things. But I really want to look at 2020, Exodus 2020. Um, so context, give you the context. Israel has just been removed from Israel. They've been delivered from Israel, from Egypt, right? They've been delivered from Egypt. Moses brings them out of slavery, brings them out into the wilderness, brings them to Mount Sinai. Um, it's this truth, right? You, you see Moses wants to bring Israel. It's God, but actually Moses has the same heart as God. He wants to bring this nation of Israel out of captivity, out of Egypt, into the wilderness, and eventually into the promised land. That's the end goal, right? To get to the promised land. But he says, before we get to the promised land, you've got to have an encounter with the promiser. You've got to have an encounter with the living God. And so Moses says, I had an encounter at Mount Sinai, the burning bush, remember this? And he said, I'm standing on holy ground and I was overwhelmed with the holy fear of God when this happened. And so Moses is like, you've got to have the same encounter. And so he brings them to Mount Sinai. You guys remember some of this? And then there's thunderings, there's clouds, there's lightnings, the fear of God, the presence of God comes on that mountain. And here we find in Exodus chapter 20, 20, it says this, right? I'll just read it. And Moses said to the people, do not fear for God has come to test you and that his fear may be before you so that you may not sin. So is Moses saying, do not fear or fear? Yes. yes. <laughs> he says, I like it. It's easier sometimes to read different translations. This is New King James, New Living Translation. It says it this way. If you can find it, Juan, same thing. Exodus 20, 20, New Living Translation says, don't be afraid. I'll just summarize it. Don't be afraid, fear God. If you look in the Hebrew, it's actually, it's the same root word, but it says in a verb, don't be terrified in this verb sense, have the noun fear of God. Does that make sense? A little bit, helping a little bit. So don't have this terrified, I want to stay away. Have the fear of God, which is a noun in your life so that it actually draws you close. We're talking about fathers, so I'm kind of mingling these ideas. Sorry, Juan, I'm all over the place. My first point actually was that the father heart, he longs for intimacy. The father's heart longs for intimacy. And it only comes through the fear of God. You will not obey him unless you have the fear of God. I'll put it this way, my own kids, I use them example all the time. When they were young, and they were infants, we talked about a little bit last Sunday. When they're infants, all they got 
was protection and provision and generosity and loving kindness from their father. As they got older and they had a sin nature and they had selfishness, what's, what's the very first word that most kids say? Maybe mom, maybe dad, but really right behind there is no and mine, right? You go take something, mine, mine. It just comes innate. It's natural for us to be selfish. And there's something about at some point, a child needs the fear of God to come into their life to make them a healthy child. If my child never heard the word no, never got the discipline and never had a fear of dad in their life, they were set up for a disastrous life. You too, if all you know is the love of God and the kindness of God and the goodness of God and you don't have a fear of God, you're set up for a horrible life. You will not reap the benefits and the blessings that I just listed. You won't get angelic assistance. You won't be conformed to the image of Christ. You won't have intimacy with God. You won't have all these things. Why? Because you don't have the fear of God. As my kids are getting older, if they, there's things I want to bless my kids with. There's things I have resources I want to give them. But if they will not obey me, the worst thing I can do is give them blessings without their obedience. That's the worst thing I could do. It's the same thing with God. As you develop in your relationship with him, the worst thing he could do is be everything and give you every good thing without you fearing him. That's what we find the Israelites living in the promised land, right? They were living with all the goodness of God and then we see the book of Judges. It's this cycle where they're like, oh, we don't need God. We got everything we need here. And then things fall apart. And then they cry out, God, save us. And they go through a trial, difficulty. People are pressing them. And they actually need discipline. And they need a desperation for God. And now there's a healthy relationship again. We fear God. And then God begins to bless them. And everything's going good in their life. Like, oh, we don't need God. Everything's going good in our life. The idea is they never actually had it instilled in them. They never had the fear of God that they carried with them, that they continued to steward. As I said, as we left worship, right? There's something about carrying the fear of God. We can encounter it, but I want to learn how to take it with me everywhere. I've had incredible, intimate moments with God, but I don't want just moments of intimacy with God. I want to live a life where I am a friend of God all day long. And as we're looking at Moses, this is what he's doing. He had this encounter at the burning bush. He had the discipline, Moses, go and set my people free. But I can't talk. I'm not good at this. I can't do that. And he had to obey. So it wasn't just all these blessings. There's actually evidence in your life if you fear God. Here's some evidences. I have a slide. If, oh, is there someone back there? Oh, Juan, you're hiding. There's evidences too. Let me find, see if I can find that. Evidences of fearing God. Um, I'll find it. I'll find it. I'll find it. Here's some evidences of fearing God. You obey instantly. Number one, evidence that you fear God. You obey instantly. Being honest with my own kids, when they say, but dad, that's not instantly. When I say, when God says something, I'm like, oh, but I'm not good at that, God. But I'm not gifted in that. But other people are going to think this. But as soon as I say but, that's not the fear of God. Evidence that you have the fear of God is that you obey instantly. Number two, you obey when it doesn't make sense. You've heard me share. It's on in the foyer, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. 
I way too often lean on my own understanding. But in all my ways, I need to acknowledge him or fear him. If in all my ways I fear God, I will not hinder when it doesn't make sense. Because if you read the Bible, most often the time when God tells somebody to do something, it doesn't make sense. Joshua, take your army and just march in circles for seven days. What the heck is that going to do? Right? It doesn't make sense. Read every story in the Bible. It doesn't make sense. But if you have the fear of God, it doesn't hinder your obedience. Number three, you obey even if it hurts, if it costs you something. More often than not, when God tells me to do something, it costs me something. If it doesn't, it's easy. The fear of God is not easy. I'll get to this verse later. You have to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's a process, dying to yourself. I must decrease, he must increase. The fear of God means it's not my insecurities, it's not my what ifs, it's not all these other things. It's, it's gonna cost me something. I'm willing for whatever you ask God. Number four, evidence that you fear God, you obey even if you see no benefit. So it's kind of, I know it's kind of the same thing, but just trying to give you more clarity. You obey even if you see no benefit. It doesn't make sense. And then you say, wait a second, it's gonna cost me something. And then you reason out, there's no benefit at all. What do I get? What do you get out of God? Just obedience. I could give you testimony. I just shared with someone this week, this last week, a testimony, when I did what God asked me to do for five years, I was walking in obedience and right before I was gonna fulfill it to the fullness, God says, all right, don't do it. I was like, whoa, 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 God. You said for like four and a half years, do this. I don't see how this would benefit you. You would look bad and I'm gonna look bad if I don't follow through. But at some point, I heard my shepherd's voice. I have to obey. I have to have the fear of God rule over logic, reason, my benefit, costing, and even costing other people. Do you know there's decisions I've made? Oh, man. In that courtyard, this is a long time ago, in that courtyard, telling my wife these very words, I know you're not going to be happy, but I'm going to do this anyways. And the look in my wife's eyes, like, what are you about to say? And I made a decision and I said, I feel like God is telling me to do this. I know it's not just gonna cost me, it's gonna cost you more than it does me. I, I'm not throwing under the bus, I'm just being you real life experience. It didn't go well. <laughs> she didn't like it. But ask her now what she prefers, a husband who fears God more than her. She'll pick that any day. I want, a, I want a husband who fears God. It costs you something. It doesn't make sense, right? There's no benefit in it. Number five, evidence you fear God, you obey to completion. You obey to completion. You don't just start a thing, you finish it. I can't help but think of Abraham. These five things. When God one day says, Abraham, you know your most prized possession? You know what you waited for decades 
to have a son and now you finally have a son and he's at age where he's not just a child anymore, there's actually beginning to be friendship. I mean, it's the peak of intimacy and enjoyment of being a father. I want you to take him on a three days journey and go sacrifice him on a mountain. This is Abraham right here. Evidence that there is a man who feared God in all five of his, evidence just exuding. He feared God. It made no sense. It cost him a whole lot. There was no benefit. But that fear of God birthed a nation. It birthed righteousness. It says his faith or his fear of God, right, produced righteousness. That he became our father of the, of the faith. The blessings and the rewards way beyond anything he could hope, dream, or imagine. His fear of God. I'm telling you, the fear of God, if it really hits us and there's evidence like this, like Abraham, it will change your life. It'll change the image of the church. It'll change the bride of Christ. It'll change the way this world operates. If there are people that truly have the fear of God. You know, I was thinking about, I heard a pastor talking about the fear of God. And he was saying that before I was born, back in the 70s, there was the Jesus people movement. Um, anybody get saved with Jesus people movement? I know the hunts, they came in here, right? Some of you guys got saved during that revival, during that time where the Lord was moving. And, and the church at that time in the 70s, they were a little legalistic. There was no way a pastor would show up wearing a jersey and red tennis shoes, right? Back in that day, if you came to church with no shoes on, you weren't allowed in the church, right? Have you guys seen the previews? There's going to be a movie coming out, Jesus Revolution. There had to be something where the church shifted and changed and said, all right, we are so legalistic that we've got to learn how to love people, accept people who are the unlovable. The church... The road, right, Jesus says that the life, the road to life, the road to eternity, to heaven is narrow. And on either side of that, there's a ditch. And the church had fallen off the ditch into legalism. They feared God so much so that they feared God's word that everything, the letter of the law killed. And they would not allow love to rule and reign. And so they were in this ditch and the church was not growing. But then in the 70s, right, the 60s, 70s, all this love and all this great. And so that's good. We needed love. But then we went off course and went straight over the other ditch. And now all we do is just love and embrace people. I, I don't mean, to, I, this is not a political thing, but there are denominations that will allow pastors who are homosexuals to be pastors because of love. And they fell off on the ditch because the fear of God is not in that pastor. The fear of God is not in that denomination. There might be people in that denomination that love God. I'm not trying to judge. I'm just trying to share with you that you can fall off in either ditch. You can be so legalistic and not have the love of God, or you can be so embracing and so loving and kind and not have the fear of God. And God is saying, I believe the next revival is going to happen. It's going to come through the fear of God. I don't know if you felt it. I felt the fires of heaven. I felt the wind of heaven this morning, and it was connected to the fear of God. 
Yes, God loves you. I will preach God loves you until I'm blue in the face. But you've also got to know there's got to be a fear of God. That he's not just your savior, he's your Lord. You've got to submit to him. If you will not submit to him, he is not your Lord. I don't know how to say it. You won't go to heaven. Does not, that is not easily preached now. If he's not your Lord, you're not going to heaven. If you will not obey, you're not going to heaven. If there's a refusal, you dig your heels in, I'll obey you to this point, God. Oh, I'll obey you in these areas, but not this area. It's not okay. In Hebrews, it says, they were receiving a kingdom that is unshakable because our God is an all-consuming fire. He's an all-consuming fire. Hmm. Just so I'm not crazy. Right? Charles Spurgeon, someone that's revered in the faith, right, for the last several hundred years, Charles Spurgeon, he says this about fear, the fear of God. Fear, when rightly employed, is the very brightest state of Christianity. The fear of God is the constant description which the scriptures give of true religion. I told you about Jesus being our savior a hundred couple times and then almost 8,000 times being our Lord. Let me tell you another one. Find it. The fear of God is referenced over 300 times in scripture. Fear of God. This is a major theme. More than Jesus being your savior, the fear of God. Obviously, the Lord being Lord is kind of connected to that. But the fear of God, it's all over the place. As I said in Hebrews 20, 20, it's not being afraid where you distance yourself. As the Israelites, they saw on that mountain, they saw the fear of God and they distanced themselves. Moses brought them to that place for them to encounter the fear of God so that they could have the same intimacy that Moses did. What does it say about Moses? Moses was a friend of God. Hmm. Let's see if I can find it really quick. There's another scripture. No. Hmm. Oh, man. Oh, I have it, but it's somewhere in here. So there's a scripture that says the fear of God leads to friendship with him. Or in other translations, leads to him sharing with you his secrets. The fear of God leads to him sharing with you his secrets. I think right away of Jesus, right? The last supper with his disciples. He says, I no longer call you slaves, but friends. But there was a process. He didn't say you're my friends first. He says, there was submission. Submit yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. There is this coming low. I must decrease that he may increase so that you can be seated with Christ in heavenly places. We've got to get the order right. Yes, I need to know who I am. I am who God says I am. The identity of Ryan is far beyond. I'm just, when God begins to just open up the envelope and begin to tell me the way he thinks about me and talks about me to angels, I get undone the way he talks about me with authority, with pride, with, but he will not open up that envelope all the way until he knows I can handle it. 
until I'm under him, until I'm like Isaiah and I'm undone in his presence. I use this all the time. Isaiah, he, in chapter six, you can read it. He was the most godly, the most holy, the most set apart, the most obedient man on the face of the planet. And in chapter five, he's going to na the nation of Israel, God's people, and he's saying, woe to you who do this. Woe to you who does this. Woe to you, all these sinners, that you have a relationship with God, but you're not completely obedient. And he's going around telling all these people, woe to you, woe to you. And he's prophesying and he's preaching all chapter five. And then in chapter six, there's an encounter with the holy presence of God. And he doesn't say woe to you. He says, woe to me. I'm undone. I am a man of unclean lips living amongst a man of un, uh, uh, unclean people. There's something about the fear of God. There has to be an encounter. It can't just be information I'm telling you right now. There's gotta be a real encounter with the fear of God, with the awesome glory of God. But it's not to distance you. It, the whole point of the Father's heart is not to show that he is holy and you're not. His whole point is to say, be holy just as I am holy. But you can't be holy unless you have the fear of God. Amen. So did I have that, do you ever find that slide, Juan, the very first one? The, well, it wasn't the first one, I'm sorry. It's probably like the fourth slide. But it talks about the father heart of God wanting intimacy. Let's see if I can find it. It's like the fourth one. Found it, perfect. So there it is. Moses 20, Exodus 20, 20, we could read more, but I need to move on. But the fear of God releases promises. We talked about those 40 plus promises and the fear of God requires evidence. We talked about some of those evidences. So the next one, there's a father who not only longs for intimacy, he longs for integrity. Father longs for integrity. And we're gonna look at, you can turn there if you want. Joshua chapter, we're gonna, I'm gonna breeze through chapters three, four, and five. Um, but Joshua chapter three, four, and five, and here's, I'm just giving you a sneak peek of this. So fear of God means stepping into his grace. The fear of God means you sanctify yourself. Wait a second, did he do it or did I do it? We'll see. Fear of God means fresh fallings on your face. So now I'll give you context of where we're going in Joshua chapter three. Joshua is now the new leader of Israel, right? Moses had just passed away in Joshua chapter one. Um, Joshua is now the leader. He's bringing them into the promised land. And so in Joshua chapter three, you see them, they're just getting ready to leave the wilderness and cross over the Jordan River and go into the promised land. And so let me find my notes. Um, but there's this thing where, oh, okay. Uh, how much do I wanna read? How much are we just gonna, oh man, time. Let's just, let's breeze through this. Okay. How do I wanna cover all this? Sunday school trivia. You guys remember, as the nation of Israel leaves Egypt, they get to the Red Sea, what happens? Parts of the Red Sea, they walk through on dry ground. That's Moses. Now Joshua is the leader. Before they leave the wilderness and go into the promised land, what happens to the Jordan River? Parts. All right, you guys remember, Sunday school trivia. But Joshua's given this word from the Lord. He says, all right, you're about to enter the promised land. He says, sanctify yourself because I'm about to do a wondrous thing in your midst. And then he says, all right, get the priests to get the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God, and, it, and have them go first. And it says, as soon as the feet of the priests 
hit the water, the waters parted. They were separated, and it says they were rolled back. Rolled back where they're coming from. So you guys remember the Jordan River? There's a Sea of Galilee, and the Jordan River comes down, and it flows down into the Dead Sea. So they're in between that, right? And they're going across the Jordan, and it says the water is rolled back all the way to the city of Adam. All the way to the city of Adam. There's way too much to unpack right here. But just know that this is prophetic. God is doing something with the nation of Israel that he did when Jesus came, and he's doing again today. That he says, you must step into the grace of God. There's nothing they could do to get across that water. There's nothing they could do to roll back the sins of the nation, their personal sins. But God says, I'm going to roll back the sins, not just of you, not just your parents and the generation before you, but all the way back to Adam. I'm going to roll back all the sins of humanity and take care of it. Just receive my grace. Step into my grace by faith. And they step across and they go and the name of the town that they land in on the other side of the Jordan River is called Gilgal. Gilgal, I won't go through the whole story, but in Hebrew, it means circle. It means to roll or wheel or circuit. It's got a whole bunch of words, right? This is where God rolled back the waters, rolled back and removed sin from his people. You receive salvation, right? Salvation is by grace, through faith. It's by the grace of God, but by, through faith, you have to step into it. So the idea of salvation, we receive it, but it's all God's grace. But then as they get to Gilgal, again, it's this idea of rolling back, cutting off the waters. In chapter five, the beginning, verse one, it goes to the story of, I won't explain it all, circumcision. This new generation hadn't been circumcised in the wilderness. And so he says, sanctify yourself. You receive grace by faith. You stepped into those waters and received a rolling back of sin, but now sanctify yourself. Do something with your own power. Do something that's gonna cost you, right? You work out your salvation by fear and trembling. You have a process of sanctification. There's big words, justification, sanctification. Justification is all God's grace. You are justified by grace. You are just as if you had never sinned. Just if I'd never sinned, justified. Just as if I'd never sinned. God does all that. But now you work out your salvation. You get sanctified by your fear of God. Do you fear God enough to cut off a part of your own body? Yikes. <laughs> this generation had to experience it. It wasn't enough for mom and dad to do it. Every generation has to experience the fear of God. Amen. Have you experienced the fear of God? Have you encountered the fear of God where you are willing, I know I don't mean graphic, to cut off parts of your body? Are you to be like Abraham and kill your own son? Have you encountered the fear of God where you will obey no matter what? As I said, every generation, it goes on. Joshua, it finally goes, he has experienced the presence of God just like Moses. You read all of Exodus, right? Everywhere Moses was on, the, on Mount Sinai, Joshua was there. Moses would go into the tabernacle of meeting. Moses would leave and Joshua would stay behind. Joshua had the fear of God. But he needed a fresh fear of God. He crossed the Jordan. He's now in the promised land. How am I going to take on Jericho? How are we going to do this? Right? 
I can read verses, but we've got to move quick. But it says, the commander of the Lord's army shows up and Joshua says, are you for us or for them, right? And he says, neither. In other words, Jesus, this is a Christophany. It's an actual physical appearance of Jesus before he appeared in Mary's womb, right? Christmas day, before that. So this is Jesus appearing to Joshua. Joshua's having a personal encounter. And Jesus says, I didn't come to choose sides. I came to take over. It's not about you or this person. It's not about that church, that doctrine. These people are Pentecostal. These people are Baptist. It's not about sides. I just came to take over. I'm telling you, when revival comes, there's going to be a coming together of churches where it's just revival. It doesn't matter your your denomination. It doesn't matter your, your doctrines. You just have a holy fear of God. And like Joshua, you fall on your face, fall on your face afresh and anew. Joshua had already had tons of encounters and already had the fear of God, but he needed a fresh encounter. What God is saying right now is he's requiring a fresh encounter with you, a fresh falling on your face. Are you willing for God to take over? As we said in worship, I surrender all. I lay on my face before you and I surrender all. Really quick, I'm... Not even, I don't know where my notes are, but the last one. The Father, heart of God, he longs for intimacy. He longs for integrity. The Father longs for intensity. The fear of God brings intensity. As you look at Acts chapter five, you can turn there, but here's some things. We'll look at it really quick and we'll explain how this happened. It says that many signs, 511, you can read Acts 511, you put that in your notes. Acts 511 says that the fear of God fell on the church. And in verse 12, it says that many signs and miracles and wonders took place. Then it says that the believers were wonderfully united and met together regularly. This is revival. They became one and they couldn't stop meeting. Let's just meet as long as it takes. You're already at pastors two minutes over service. But at some point, you don't care. You're so hungry. You just want to keep meeting. And then it says continually new people were being added. Salvations were happening like crazy. It's revival. How is it happening? Read Acts chapter five, verse one. Read the first few verses. It's a story I never liked reading or hearing in Sunday school. The story of Ananias and Sapphira. I don't like preaching that story. Ananias and Sapphira, it says they did a good thing. They brought a sacrifice. They sold property and they brought a huge amount of the money they got from that property and they brought it and they laid it before Peter in the church. They said, here, we're bringing an offering. We sold, we sold our property, and this is everything. It wasn't everything. But they said it was everything, and it was a good thing. They gave a lot of money. And in their line, God drops them dead. Verse 10, they're carrying the dead bodies out of the church. Verse 11, and it says, the fear of God greatly fell on the church. The fear of God, I don't know about you, but if someone lied and dropped over dead, some fear, it wouldn't just be this, oh yeah, God's really good. God's a great God. He's done great things. The fear of God would grip me. 
And that's what it's saying. The fear of God gripped the church. And because of that fear, great signs and wonders were done. Read the rest of chapter five. It says that Peter, walking around on the streets, his shadow healed people. Where did that come from? Because Peter was all of a sudden more religious than he was before? Because Peter was closer to God than before? No, because the fear of God was on people. That somehow revival was breaking out, not just because one man was on fire, but because the church was under the fear of God. If you read the very last verse of chapter five, incredible. It says that all the surrounding cities around Jerusalem were emptied of all their sick and demonic. They were bringing them to Jerusalem so that Peter's shadow would just fall on these guys. And it says they were all healed. I don't know about you, but I'm longing for the day that I just pray for one person and they get healed. But I'm saying that's not the end game. The end game is the fear of God falls and everyone gets healed. I don't know what that does with your doctrine because it hasn't happened in my lifetime where everyone gets healed. But it happened in the early church. It happened when Jesus walked on the planet. So my standard is Jesus. My standard is not my former pastor or my own experience. You might think I'm crazy. I don't care. Think I'm crazy. I just want the fear of God to fall in such a powerful way that it's not me doing miracles. It wasn't Peter doing miracles. It was his shadow. What was that? It was the glory of God, the fear on people, and the glory of God coming. And it was just all over Peter. That's what I want. I don't want it that because I said the right prayer that someone got healed. It has nothing to do with Ryan. It has to do with Ryan is so under the fear of God that the glory is all over me that you are so hungry for the glory of God that it just falls afresh on this place. I know our time is done with service and I have the worship team coming up, but I told you we're finishing worship. It was going to get better. I believe it's about to get better. I don't know about you. Some of you, you might have places to go and be in places. I get that. But I'm hungry for the, fo- the fear of God. I'm willing to go overtime. I want the evidence of the fear of God in my life. I don't want just the benefits and blessings. I re- yes, I want those. But it's not about me just getting something from God. I want to decrease. I want the fear of God to fall on me. There were several of you that came forward at the end of worship doing the right thing. (laughs) All right. I don't know if this is the wisest thing to do, right? But I'm just, I tend to be an open book. I tend to be just open and honest with you. Here's what I saw, whether it was God or just my own Ryan individual imagination. In preparing this for this sermon this week, it wasn't that the presence of God came in such a powerful way and I saw this prophetically and man, everything was shaking in the room. It was just, I was thinking about this Sunday. And like I saw Joshua on his face before Jesus, I saw some of you on your face and the fear of God gripping you in a way Maybe you've never encountered, or maybe it's been years. 
I can't manufacture that. I can't manipulate you to make you do that. But I can pray for a manifestation of his presence. I can believe by faith that God wants to do that. In me and in you. I want a fresh falling on my face. Undone in the presence of God. I'm hungry for it. Yes, I need the love of God. But I'm telling you, in my encounter, in my experience of 40 years of following Jesus, the times where his love most impacted me, when I was on my face under the fear of God, As we sang during worship this morning, Christ be magnified. As I, I'm just giving you my own personal experience. As I just worship Jesus. And in my mind, in my heart, I just exalted him. I just began to tell him that my answer is yes, Lord. Whatever you want, God, my life is yours. And as I humbled myself under the mighty hand of God, I felt the pleasure of God in a way that I cannot explain with words. And this is the deep longing as a pastor's heart that's been in me for years. I shared, I don't know how many times, I'm not just interested in your ticket to heaven. I want you to have what I have. Like Moses, I've had an encounter and I want you to have one too. Don't be afraid of God. Instead, fear God. So I can't give you all the direction and all the explanation about what's to take place. But if you want the fear of God to increase in your life, you want a greater measure of the fear of God to come over you. Would you just stand where you are? Stand where you are. In fact, I'm not going to give a lot of direction. There is no official end time to this service. You're not wrong. You're not judged if you need to leave. But for those who are hungry, you can stay as long as you want. So Holy Spirit, I ask for your wisdom. I ask for your direction. God, all of us are standing in awe of you, wanting more of your presence, more of your glory, to be undone like Isaiah, for this to be a super Sunday that's not about a football game. It's about the most important thing in our lives, God. Having intimacy with our Father, having integrity with our Father, becoming intense with our love and obedience to our Father. I want an encounter. I don't want just information. 
I want transformation. I want revelation. Show me your glory. Show me your glory, Lord. Show me your glory. Show me.